The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dr. Homebrew is brought to you by Five Star Chemicals, providing safety and cleaning supplies for brewing, distilling, and winemaking at FiveStarChemicals.com. Dr. Look! Stand aside, nurse. I'm Dr. Homebrew. You know that guitar, that's the call of Dr. Homebrew. That guitar shreds and we come running. <laughs> we were just out catching Pokemon or whatever the kids are doing these days to meet other kids. Crashing their cars. <laughs> yeah, crashing their cars, running into cop cars, walking off cliffs, being total dumbass. That's just what we needed in, 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 as, in culture, is something else to be preoccupied with instead of the real world. I mean, I understand there's nice stories about people meeting each other and like, oh, you're in the park catching things too. But there's far more stories of people being complete dicks um, and dying and, and, and just hurting themselves and other people and breaking into homes. And it's just stupid. I saw there's a few like towns, I forget where they are now, um, where the, uh, the fire department and the police have actually had to put out statements reminding people to please don't call 911 and ask to be let into the police station to catch Pokemon. Like this is a thing. This is this is these are the people that we're raising in this country. Is they think it's okay to do that? Wow. Because they got to catch a thing that doesn't actually really exist in real life. It's a fake. It's a fake thing. I fear for the future of our society and humanity in general. You're raising one of them. You have a future of our humanity and society. I fear for him. What's the next? (laughs) I mean, as a parent, do you do you fear for your child? I would. I do. I think. Oh man. Yeah. What? Yeah. He's not going to have a phone until he's 18. See, I, I agree, man. And Taryn's <laughs> like, if we have a kid, um, you know, they're going to have a phone. I'm like, not not at least until they're 15, 16. There's no, you don't need one. Now they get them at like, yes, six or seven. It's like, what? what? Yeah. Really? I mean, we were watching a movie or a show or some, some bull crap like that. And a 13-year-old kid had a phone. No. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, wow. we're talking about a friend's kid who's 13. And I'm like, I wish this kid, uh, Sully's kid, I play, speaking yeah. of dumb video games, I play Overwatch with him. I play video games with him. And uh, I'm like, I wish the kid had a phone or a Facebook or an email so I could like <laughs> let him know, hey, I'm going to be on you know, the game. Let's game. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know why. I don't know why he doesn't have one. I mean, he's old enough. I'm like, no, he's not. Like, there's, <laughs> kid's 13, man. What are you doing? You gotta let kids be a kid. You gotta let kids be a kid and not be tethered to other people's opinions and what they want. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I have to remind myself to just put my own phone down and just enjoy, you know, playing with him and hanging out. You know. Yeah. He's like, Daddy, let's play. Oh, I gotta check my. Uh, what you mean? What? <laughs> my I don't do, some Yeah. Doesn't make a f- move on words with friends. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm pretty anti-technology until kids are, uh, I don't know, eight, eight, 17, 16, uh, right? I mean, I mean, that's a tough one. So yeah, It know. is tough. It's I, a personal choice, but I don't, I don't judge people who give their kid a phone at I totally do, and seven, I don't. I try right? not to. I saw these uh, these two toeheads. They were walking around with iPads, and they both had um, headphones on. Mm-hmm. 
And the mom's just like, like holding both her hands and they have an iPad and each fo- and they're just walking around. I'm like, wh- with headphones on. And they were like six and yeah. four, I, w- I would guess. The, and, you know, they weren't higher than like 10 and eight. And it's like, what are we, what are we doing right now? What are we breeding? What are we, what, yeah. are we, what kind of people are well, we raising? I also swore I wouldn't like, you know, plop the kid down in front of the TV. But when you need a moment of peace and quiet, it's like, Okay. That happens. Let's watch a show, you know? <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's easy to talk without kids. And an uh, iPad but... kind of serves the same purpose at a restaurant or something where you just, like, need them to be a little sane for a while. It's Anyway. But your parents are, to... are, are yeah. pretty sane. I mean, you know. Mm. Yep. It happens. Um, we, we get away with it. to Dr. Kid. That's uh, what we do, Brian. If you haven't fucking realized it by week. now, we bullshit we <laughs> the first part of the show. Bullshit our way through anything. That's right. I like to fill time sometimes uh, talking to people about my life. Then you make us rush at the end of the show and we're running out of time. Yeah, that's true. Bastard. Yeah, that's what happens when you produce. When you create content, okay. Brian, you produce. can be the lead. The lead. <laughs> hey, man, we're your clay. You're just, you're just, you produce this that's content. That's right. Thank we you just, very much. We just kind of hang out and we're like gelatinous, judgy things. <laughs> that's, that's all you are. Yeah. Judgy thing. How would you write that in code so I can game you? <laughs> anyway, our sponsor today is bringing you this great content is Five Star Chemicals. You go to fivestarchemicals.com and learn about everything you need to uh, make great beer, essentially. I mean, really, we all know that it comes down to the cleanliness and the fermentation. And you can't have a proper fermentation if your fermenter is all jacked up. You, you might have a sludge great, and slime and grossness. Wonderful recipe that you got from the best brewer in the world. You might have, you know, yeah. The, yeah. The Pliny clone recipe. <laughs> the one. Hey, your fermenter's full of gunk and it's not been cleaned in six years. Uh, you know, yeah, no, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. So you got to clean it and you got to sanitize it. And the people who make the best products for both of those actions are Five Star, fivestarchemicals.com. Check them out. And if your local homebrew shop doesn't have them, which I'd be very, very surprised, ask for them. Go to your homebrew store and ask the dude. Email Five Star. Tell them to contact dude. Be like, hey, dude. Dude knows. I need PBW. I need Star Sand. I need these things in my life. Okay, we have a, a pretty cool show. We're going to do a beer. We have an in-studio guest. Travis is here, and he has some sort of beer for us, I imagine. Um, and then, uh, probably doesn't have his mic on. Yeah, my bad, Travis. Sorry about that. How's that? Hey. Perfect. Um, and then afterwards, uh, in the second segment, we would normally be doing a beer, but uh, we're going to talk to you guys about packaging. We had a, a, a listener email in. He goes, dude, I have no idea how to send beer into competition. Uh, would you guys mind covering something like that? And I said, sure. Why not? Oh, and I guess there's something about feedback, too. Yes, there's a feedback as well. Feedback from someone called Brent. I can't wait for the feedback. Brent. But see, I don't know who. <laughs> ah, here we go. He says, can you help me understand how the same beer judged at about the same period of time can get an average score of 37.8 and the next competition receive a 21 and two 25s? It's bottling my mind. I'm sure he meant to say boggling, but. Yes, I have a simple answer for you. Um, Judges are assholes. (laughs) The end. Some days they're in horrible mood and uh, yeah, they're completely unpredictable. Just listen to us from show to show. <laughs> no, but really, that's not it. I mean, you know, what is it? What is it really? Same beer, same temperature. Same beer, same temp, same, uh, yeah, same everything. Or it, it was says, just two different competitions. Uh, the same beer judged at the same time period uh, okay. in two different competitions. Was it ice cold in one competition and served at the proper temperature in another competition? Right. We don't know that. Um. Well, yeah. also, it, you know, he says uh, uh, about the same time period. So what style is it? Is it American Blondale that maybe doesn't hold up? I mean, because there's, there's not that many competitions that are kind of back-to-back weekend to weekend, right? Yeah. So is it relatively the same time two months? I would assume around the same time period means within a couple of weeks or so. But Yeah. Well, see, that's um, what I mean, right? Like Hops can fade over the course of a couple of weeks yeah. to the point where it's like, okay, that hop was there, but it's just it just dropped out below to where it's not not nice anymore it's not <clears throat> not that fresh hoppy ipa i had you know but for certain styles that's not going to matter as much so yeah if it's a double and you judge it two weeks apart shouldn't make no, a big difference no that's not going to matter but i would think like an american blondale would, yeah. would matter or a yeah, kolsch or, or something like that you know what i mean well maybe not a kolsch but well yeah maybe i mean going from a 38 to uh let's say a 21 that's a that's a drop or if your beer is oxidized and you just 
you you just kegged it and then you got entered in a competition the next weekend and then what you know a couple weeks out it tastes like paper and cardboard you know i don't know yeah and i guess that's really what we're talking about is 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 um variances on your beer no. not necessarily variances on the judges who are judging your beer because that's that's what it comes down to i mean no. all the judges are trained say, the same uh for the most part no, that's wrong i would say that mo- so? most of the variation that was experienced in this case was most likely due to judge variation you think so that yeah. much yeah really 12 I mean, points 12 points that's not that that's not that much is it not that much it seems like that much but well some judges are a little harsher scoring wise than others and and okay. you really do have to kind of check yourself against uh, what's called the scoring guide on the bottom left of the score sheet if you pull up the bjcp score sheet um, you know, if you call a beer excellent, which is like 38 to 44, it should exemplify the style well, and it should require only minor fine-tuning. So if you judged a beer and you, you scored it at a 30, but it, it pretty much exemplified the style well and, you know, required only minor fine-tuning, where someone else scored it a 40, and where, you know, maybe it, that's where it should be, with someone else, you know, it's 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 it's... It's easy as a judge sometimes to let little uh, little things that bother you or pet peeves of your personal preference about a certain beer style come into play a little too much, and you have to kind of reserve that and hold it hold yourself above it. You know. Okay. Um, yeah, not not every English brown ale is going to taste like a Newcastle. There's a <laughs> there's a range that's I allowable. Wish it did. Well, yeah, sure, but there's a range that's allowable in that style and you need to understand that it's more about the balance of the beer and what they what they uh what they did with their recipe and how they brewed it and and made it fit the style and make okay. it work so you know some judges have yet to learn that and and in most competitions you'll have you'll have some recognized and uh, uh certified level judges judging alongside you know um national or master judges on other tables and you know not that the national and master judges are always going to get it right where or, or the recognized judge is not going to get it right or an apprentice judge or even a novice judge at some competitions um but experience does come into play and you, you get a better appreciation for what makes the right balance for, for different beers as you get experience some judges are in that competition judging for the first time hmm. they went through the okay. program they learned it they're trying really hard to to get it and they're they're they should hopefully be paired with someone who's more experienced, and 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 that person person ought to, if they're way off kilter, you know, help them realize, oh well, this beer, the balance of the beer isn't really that bad. And I was like, oh, I just thought it was crap, you know, blah blah blah. Well, why? I don't know, just crap. Um, you know, some judges can be a little hard headed, or they they're not open to learning. But most of them usually, you know, the newer judges do look up to an experienced judge. When I first started judging, it was like, wow, these people are really helping me, and it's awesome. And I, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I did kind of score that a little harshly or I I was a little too nice to that beer. You know, yeah, I get what you're saying about that little apple thing in there that shouldn't be there or whatever it is. So, you know, give give the judges a little benefit of the doubt. They're not going to always, okay, this beer must be 37 points to zero and uh, some judge scored it at 35. They're just way off base. I don't understand. Yeah, it was like 30. Okay, yeah. Because when when, when judges are scoring... You have to be within seven points of each other. So already, right? right? So already you have a seven point variance where you can go. If you have seven point swing, that's still you're acceptable with the other judges. Yeah. Well, so I it, guess in it, that regard, 12 points isn't that big of a deal, especially in another competition an unknown amount of time later. Yeah. And in one competition, you might, uh, let's say you have a beer that's really a 35. You've got a, a one competition, it was, it was judged, one beer, one judge gave it a, 29 the other one gave it a 35 yeah and the, the the 29 guy is an asshole who says this is crap you need to bring your score down and that last beer was way better than this and and uh, the nice guy just oh agree i'll agree with you and pull my score down okay sure now we're within five points nice or you know they bring it down to three points from each other or whatever it is you know right it could, could be even more extreme than that then the next competition one judge gives it a 36 which is reasonable and another judge is just like looks past some of the defects and flaws and they might be less experienced and, and equally hard-headed as that other judge that scored at the 20 the something and scored a 41 or 42 and you know the other judge might listen to what they have to say and they might come up it, it happens at the end of judging all the time and and you could get to a 10 point spread with that 
it, it happens. It happens. Yeah. Judging is not a perfect. It's it's it's. Yeah, it's it's just it's an art form kind of. It's not really scientific. Scientific. But, but you should, as a judge, as you get more experience, you should be able to tell a twenty-something beer from a thirty-something or a forty-something. Keith, you find that similar? Definitely. Yeah, Brian's right. For the most part, we we can't blame the brewer. We have to blame the judge. That's too bad. No, I mean, occasionally there are differences in bottles. So, you know. Yeah. See, that's what I told him. I was like, it depends on where you are in the flight. Depends on what happened. Maybe you had a bottle variance. It depends on how long ago it was. There's there's a lot of different stuff. No, that whole diatribe, I'm just playing the devil's advocate. And I I really, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things that can make your beer vary from one bottle to the other. And sometimes we in a competition, we get a bottle and it explodes and we can't even drink it. And we'll say, let's bring out the second bottle because it's not going to go to best of show the way it is right now. And the second bottle sometimes isn't the same as the first bottle. So it's possible that something happened to the one bottle versus the other bottle. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, that's a possibility there that, but you know, that, that seems like a pretty big swing, but at the same time, like points aren't everything always. Like sometimes it's more important, like where you place in a, in a competition versus strictly points. Um, so if you score a 35 in one competition and a 41 in the other, the 35 may still go on and win that category while the 41 may end up coming in second or third place. Right. So it really depends. Like All judges have their own sort of sweet spot where a good, great beer is. And it really maybe shouldn't be that way. And maybe we should train more to points, but there's always some variance there. Yeah. And that's why you have, you know, when in your best of show, and second round, you have more experienced judges generally um, working on the beers. To, you know, the, sometimes you'll, you'll have a prelim where you'll separate out the wheat from the chaff. And, and sometimes you can get more variance in those kind of prelim scores. Whereas in the final judging, you'll have your, uh, your better judges in the best of show. You should have the, mm-hmm. the best of the best, like picking out the top beer. And a lot of times the number one, you know, the best of show beer isn't always the one that some cuckoo head gave a 49 just because they were like, Hey, it's great. I love it. And then they were smitten. That's a, yeah, for know, sure. Well, and 38 and, point beer wins it. Right. And, you know, if you had a decent judges, you should be able to tell on the score sheet what was missing from the beer. And you yeah. can compare the score sheets. And that should pretty much give you a snapshot of what was happened, what was going on with that beer at that time, at least according to style. Yeah, you can tell by reading the score sheet if the, if the judge knows their ass from a hole in the ground. Yeah, <laughs> you can. I think he was a, a listener. Maybe he, maybe he, we had him on at one point. I, so yeah. I hope he wasn't like saying you know that about about our show. But no, but yeah, thanks for putting the comment out there. Yeah. It is something that pe- people, totally. as a competition organizer, I've gotten that complaint many times, and and then you know sometimes yeah, you when you when your best to show beer is the the one that scored the thirty seven, and there was a forty five point beer that that you tasted afterwards that was also pretty damn good. It's like, well, hey, you know that. The best of show judges made their their best effort, and who knows why the the previous judges gave it the thirty eight. Yeah, it happens, it happens with many best of show a lot now too. Yeah. A category like an IPA, you have a lot of competitions. You have fifty beers, so you have to deal with you know many best of show where you have a bunch a bunch of different panels bringing the beers up, and then the final beer that wins isn't necessarily the highest beer. So you know yeah. it's like well, it's all very you know there's a lot of variance there between judges and points. So points aren't everything. It's more about the feedback, as you said, JP. Like yeah. that's the important thing. If the feedback makes sense. Then that's a, that that you know that's good. But if, if you read something and the judges is totally off, then I mean, there's anything that could possibly happen. Sometimes bottles get mixed up in competitions. Like there's yeah. always crazy things that happen. I've, I've seen happen before. The bottle gets lost, and, and then they find something else, and they try to judge it, and you know who knows. But the entrant uh, yeah. sends in six bottles, and they swear they marked them right. But yeah, yeah you get the one that's a inky black, you know, pale ale or something. It's like, okay, well, we got to judge it. Here yeah. it is in front of us. And then, you know, sometimes in a two-bottle competition where you're saving one for best of show and you've got just one bottle to work with and you've got to do, um, you know, like a little mini boss there to, to pick the top one, two, three. Those beers have, have warmed up a little bit and they've lost a little carbonation so it could change the beer where one that was a little out of balance before comes into balance or, or goes out of balance, whatever. There's a lot of things that can happen in a competition. So, and they're all doing their best and the judges should, are all doing their best too, generally. For sure. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and we're getting into Travis's beer and uh, yeah, do all that kind of stuff. It's Dr. Homebrew. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Hello, fellow BNers. This is Sully from the 21st Amendment Brewery located in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park. Before Nico and I opened the 21A and before I was a professional brewer, I homebrewed on my small four-burner apartment stove in a back house in Santa Monica, California, making my extract brews before graduating to the daunting idea of all-grain brewing. Homebrew books and information was hard to come by back then. The Internet hadn't been invented yet, along with other things we take for granted today, like electricity and potable water. One thing I wish I had back then when I was learning was a radio show that could teach me the ins and outs of brewing and answer questions that I had about homebrewing, a resource for making great craft beer. The 21st Amendment Brewery is excited to be a proud sponsor of Dr. Homebrew, a great show that teaches you what you need to know about making incredible beer. Good stuff. Listen up, you might learn something. I certainly did. And thanks for your support. Tasty Crack Games. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. Morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. Morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to morebeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. That's it. I've had it. I am never putting hops in my beer again. What? Why? It's just too ridiculous. Insane prices, stupid contracts, high shipping costs, crappy selection. Dude, you need Nico Brew. Nico Brew will rock your f***ing face right the f*** off your f***ing skull. $5 shipping to all 50 states, plus fantastic international rates get you low prices on Nico Brew's great selection of hops and more. Whether you're a home brewer, a pro brewer, or a homebrew shop owner, Nico Brew can get you the hops you need in increments big and small, single orders, spot buys, or full contracts. And there's only one place to join the uber-special Secret Elite. Elite Bare Bones Club, where you'll get the best deals anywhere. Holy f***ing shit. NicoBrew.com. N-I-K-O-B-R-E-W. NicoBrew, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. Now, back to the examination. All right, thanks for sticking with us. Before we get to the beer, I want to tell you guys about the iDip. Mm-hmm. Our good friends at Smart Brew Kit here. I'll, I'll, let me pull up my deal. SmartBrewKit.com. The Smart Brew Water Testing Kit incorporates a revolutionary photometer system. You've heard us talk about the photometer. It's the first and only um, water testing kit on the market with its own app, for God's sakes. It has an app. Not everything does. They lie to you. They think you, they, they want you to know that everything has an app. It doesn't. But the iDip does. It's for home or commercial use. So you can buy it as a home brewer. And if you feel like transitioning into another role as a commercial brewer, bring it right along. It fits, it fits great in any size brewery. Um, and really, it helps you make better beer by helping you craft the water that you need. And very, very easily, too. There's no math involved. Uh, it's everything has, it's a, it has a patented um, strip system. So you put your, your water in the little photometer and you wiggle the strip around, depending on whatever one you want to test, like total alkalinity, chloride, calcium hardness, pH, sulfate. Uh, and you wait like 20 seconds or something like that. And bam, it's done. Yeah. And it's also a good, like, um, a club purchase if your club... Home it's a fantastic club. Has club a lot purchase. of uh, you know a fair amount of extra money built up from your hard-earned club dues. Um, it's kind of when we did this with our club, uh, you know, it was it's it, it's fun because there's so many different waters even around just the Bay Area and not even that far. You know, I live in Livermore, and the water is is re you know really hard and alkaline, 
and you go over to San Ramon and then they're on the East Bay mod and it's, it's like Pilsner water. It's just like super low minerals and clean and, you know, more neutral. It's just night and day difference. And it's just two different water sources in the same region. So yeah, I live in San Francisco and sometimes our TDS, you know, ranges from 20 to 60, but yeah, it'd be great to have a tool like that to sort of gauge even when you're brewing what you know what, yeah. what you're looking at your water varies over the year too they'll pump yeah. more groundwater pump more of this or that yeah. changes Whatever. all the time man with the idip you can stay on top of those changes and you can email your results to the rest of your brewers on your team or if you're uh, like brian said if you want to do a, as a club you can post it to your facebook page and let your club get the lowdown on your base water profile um yeah, so go to smartbrewkit.com and enter code TBN10 at the checkout, and you can save 10 bucks on either the standard or advanced smart brew testing kit. Uh, and then send them an email and, and thank them for being a sponsor of the Brewing, of the brewing Network uh, in general, but specifically of this show, uh, because, you know, I say it all the time. We wouldn't be here without these people, and, and, and I definitely mean it. Um, yeah. So check them out, smartbrewkit, uh, smartbrewkit.com. Order now and make this futuristic, te- futuristic technology part of your brewing process. I speak good for living. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you work to master your brewing process, but you don't know where your water is. That's a, that's. Hey, smartbrewkit.com. One big ingredient in your TBN beer. TBN10. All right. All right, Travis. How you doing, man? You ready? I'm doing great. You how ready you? for this nonsense that we call Dr. Homebrew? I am. Uh, how long you been homebrew, man? I've been homebrewing for about six years, coming up in September. Okay, really? Yeah. Six years. And what uh, what, what, what beer do we have in front of you? I have this motor oil. What, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, we call it Squid Belly Stout. Okay. So... It's uh, definitely a motor oil type beer. Okay. Is this something you've done before? No, it was definitely a hodgepodge. Me and my buddy threw together and uh, brewed it up. Okay. There's, there was no uh, main beer behind it, just making a, a stout. Just had a bunch of ingredients, like maybe uh, ingredients lying around, or you just kind of wanted to fart well, around with some new stuff? Uh, the problem with you know being a home brewer is you, you get in the home brew store and... You get unleashed on all the grains, start grabbing That's stuff a left huge and right. Problem, yeah, for sure. I've, I've been there before, dude. I have to, I have to exercise restraint big time. Yeah. yeah. Usually, some of the brews I make is just a piece of paper. You know, you crank down what you think is good, a good idea, and then you head into the store. And you, sometimes things change while you're in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Well, let's see how you did here, uh, Keith. Why don't you start us off, man? Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I think you know, on the nose, a uh, lot of roast, uh, a little bit light. Toastiness, uh, lots of coffee, um, subtle chocolate vanilla, um, also very fruity, not picking up any uh, hops at all in terms of aroma. Um, Generally very clean in terms of fermentation characteristics. As it warmed, it got a a faint hint of acetaldehyde, uh, probably in, you know, maybe a little green apple there, Um, but pretty, pretty pretty jumps out of the glass i gave it a 10 out of 12 i thought it was pretty awesome in terms of aroma really enjoyed the aroma um appearance uh pretty much almost black uh i'd say it's opaque um the head was a little bit low we are getting you know this is being served out of a growler so uh you know i probably gave a little bit of a leeway there uh so the you know the head looked a little bit low there and then probably the carbonation overall in general we'll talk about later was a little bit low but um gave it a two out of three um flavor big roast again um but not really totally astringent or burnt um but a lot of chocolate uh light coffee uh malt hop bitterness uh sorry malt to, um, hop balance leans more to the malt, so it's a little bit sweeter. Um, this is supposed to be a foreign stout, and I would say that's probably a little bit too sweet for the style. I think um, really it should be more, a little more dry for this style. So it's somewhat for me right now it's towing the line between a, you know, a, a, a foreign stout and a, a tropical stout. Um, but overall, uh, once again, clean, um, no hop flavor. And uh, I'd say uh, just maybe once again a touch of acetaldehyde. Very, very light though. Uh, medium full body, um, medium low carbonation, hint of astringency from the dark malts. And uh, overall, so that was the three out of five. Flavor was uh, 12 out of 20. And overall, a really enjoyable beer. It, it, I was just mentioning before, it reminded me a little bit of Obsidian Stout from uh, Deschutes. Um, kind of hard where to place this in terms of a competition um i gave it a 34 overall 
thought it was a really, really good beer. Um, I just sort of would wonder if there's a way to move it to a different category that make it a little bit better. It, it kind of falls somewhere in between, it, for me, a foreign stout and that, that uh, you know, um, tropical stout. So I'm trying to figure out where to go. But I love, love the dark malt character. Pretty uh, expressive there. Um, but without being, like, sort of burnt in, in, you know, like burnt coffee sort of flavor. So I thought it was yeah. a really good, really good job, Travis. Tropical stout. What was that before the change? That, that's one of the recent changes, right, to the guidelines. What, it would, is, what would that be in the old guidelines? It was foreign. So foreign had both of them. They okay. had this and the other one. And now this is more like the, the Guinness where it's supposed to be drier, a little more bitter. And the bitterness here, I think, is a little bit toned down for that that style. Um I can't yeah. imagine Guinness being called a tropical stout. Well, not not, not no, the, the, uh, the Guinness was like the foreign. The, oh, okay. the Guinness foreign. And then like it, the yeah. lion stout and stuff like that yeah. would be the tropicals. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Jamaica stout. Yeah. Right. Yeah, lion, Jamaica, right? Dragon, yeah. yeah Dragon, lion, yeah. All right, Brian. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what, what Keith said there. I, I really thought the aroma was nice and inviting. The, the roastiness was smooth up front, had a lot of coffee and other elements in there, a little toffee. A lot of dried fruit characteristics present, um, you know, a little raisininess, plum, and I got some licorice in there too. Um, I, I caught a little little citrusy hop in there, kind of a little American hop character. I thought uh, pretty, pretty low, pretty light, um, but just just balancing with all that roast. And uh, yeah, it was clean. No, no, I didn't get any DMS or diacetyl. I didn't get any acetaldehyde. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it could be hiding behind all else that is there, but yeah, it's a, it is also like exactly as described pretty, pretty flat, no, no head formed at all. And, and kind of a little frothy low head that dissipated immediately and, um, ring of large bubbles around the edge there. Uh, it does look pretty opaque, but if you hold it up to the light, you can kind of see through it as the beer empties, <laughs> but it's, it's pretty <laughs> damn dark. It is really dark. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, the ro- I agree that the roastiness was was nice and smooth. It's it's intense and it's very high, but it's it's not harsh. Um, no, it's not overpowering. It doesn't it doesn't make you back away. And some of that sometimes that can. Yeah. Yeah, but the level yeah. wise, it's almost imperial. And to me, that's one of the things that just threw it a little bit off balance. Where yeah. it'd be a little bit better if you if you back that off a touch for the for the foreign extra or the tropical. Uh, but it's really tasty. Good coffee, uh, little low kind of bitter chocolate, cacao kind of flavors. Um, you know, the bitterness is kind of, uh, well, the impression of the bitterness is, I, I would say, medium high because a lot of that bitterness comes from the roast malt. There's some from the hops there, but it's not intense and it's not a hoppy tasting beer. But there's a little hop flavor in there. Uh, American kind of citrusy generic. Uh, but yeah, clean, clean ale fermentation finishes to me. Kind of medium, and I didn't get it. I, the impression, what to me wasn't quite as sweet as what Keith is picking up. Uh, but I also and I also got, which might be accenting this a little bit of a kind of a chalky, minerally component to it, and that bitter malt just lingers in the aftertaste. So it, it seems maybe drier than it is. I mean, yeah, there's 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 some sweetness here, there's some alcohol here. There's a lot of things at play. But that that bitter, rich roast, that's smooth, it, it, it is kind of the defining thing in this beer. That might be covering up some sweetness for me. <laughs> uh, and mouthfeel-wise, I agree with a lot of that. It's kind of medium-bodied. It seems fuller than it is with the intensity of the, the malt and the roast that's there. But, um, you know, just a, maybe a faint hint of astringency from all that the roast as well. Um, but it's still a fairly smooth-drinking beer. It's It, it does have a, a faint bit of uh, kind of a creamy quality to it that you like in these beers. And uh, so, yeah, overall... Pretty intense stuff, inky black beer, motor oil, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it it's tasty and really enjoyable, but I, I would back off that roast just a little bit, and that's going to improve your smoothness and the overall balance just a little bit. But, um, you know, if this is what you like to drink, by all means, this is it's it's tasty the way it is. Uh, <laughs> it you, looks good on you. You should work to improve the head a little bit. Um, you know, it, it should have something there. Pushing up, uh, you definitely want to stout have a nice creamy tan head on the top and just and. How do you do that? I mean, because it seems like he has a lot of adjuncts in this beer already. Again, we we could have to forgive it with the growler. I mean, when you is it poured from keg? Uh, yeah, it is poured from keg, but the keg actually hasn't been hit with CO two for a while. So okay. okay. It was poured right, and I knew that coming so in here that it was going to be a little bit. Carbonation you know, is probably a little flat. Poured, on this. poured it last. 
poured it up last night and yeah. not lose some of that CO2 over the night. I mean, okay. So that was something. And you, you, did you say this? Uh, the alcohol level on this one's probably around. Uh, so it came in at a 10.64 and attenuated up to, uh, down to a, a 10.12. So it that's came like out about a 6.8. Wow. That's not bad. 6.8, yeah. So it's a 7% beer. Yeah. That's going to you know help kill your head a little bit, but not, you know, I mean, you should still have a 7% beer hold up a, a pretty good head. I gave the beer a 36. I thought it was really, really enjoyable. Very good beer. It just needs, um, yeah, it, to, to meet that style or the tropical stout style, I would say it would need to be a little sweeter for the tropical because if you did also pull that roast back, all the sweetness might poke through a little more too. Uh, so that might fix fix it right there and put it in the tropical stout place. But uh, I mean, you know, when Travis gave it to us, he was like, "Well, judge it as a foreign ex- extra." I mean, like like you said, you're, you're kind of going seat of your pants, kitchen sink, or whatever kind of approach. Or, or I I know you you're you know semi scientific and and having some fun with your recipes, and that's cool. That's part of the fun of home brewing. So. Uh, you know, do what you do, and 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 take what we give you here, and 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 move move on from there. But yeah, um, you can't be too rigid when you're yeah, when you're please, home. But I mean, we please. talk a lot about styles. I mean, that's what our show's about essentially. But uh, you know, you gotta have fun. I, you gotta do. You gotta you gotta do do that whole like uh, not kitchen sink. I want to call it like homebrew counter. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's just an equivalent yeah. thing because. I, yeah, everyone does that. I don't want to take the fun that. out of it for anyone. No, Please. it's a blast, man. Some of the stuff that we mentioned on the show is a fine point. It's just, yeah, yeah. don't there's, take it too seriously. There's definitely been times where I've been taking my beers way too seriously. and So you need to back off and just, hey, have a beer, make a beer, <laughs> yeah. enjoy what you're doing. At the end of the day, it's just beer. Don't worry about it. That's right. It's not, you make a beer sometimes. You're not sure what category to even be. You taste it. You're like, well, that tastes like this. You can read the guidelines and look at it and be like, well, you know, that now that fits this. So I mean, you know, I've met people before. They made a porter. Here's a great porter. And I'm like, hey, that's a foreign extra, extra stout. They enter it in the competition. They win first place in foreign extra stout. So it's all about like what the beer tastes like, not what you're trying to brew it as. And when you're doing a kitchen sink beer, you're not really trying to do something anyway. And <laughs> you might as well just taste it and be like, oh, okay, now that's what it, it should be. And and yeah, yeah, even now I'm kind of in a hard, having a hard time like putting it down, what should it be? But it doesn't matter, you know, all the time, you know, it's a, it's a good beer. So that's probably the most important thing about it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any questions for the guys, man, about... Uh uh, or do we have any more questions for him about well, process? Um, or or to talk, talk or about uh, yeah the the recipe and how much roast was in there. Uh, right. Was it a five gallon batch? So it was a ten gallon batch that I split. I actually used two different yeast. I used an American ale on on one of them, and uh, uh, the English ale is this one. So this had the English ale yeast on. It was a 30, 31 okay. pound grain bill. It had a uh, one pound of uh, flake barley, uh, ten pounds of American pale, and uh, about two and a half pounds of chocolate wheat malt, and another two and a half pounds of roasted barley, and then another uh, 14 pounds of Maris Otter. Okay. Two and a half pounds of roasted barley. That's, that's a pretty gallon. good amount. And 10 gallons, though. And 10 I mean. gallons, but not out in left field, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we, we used uh, two ounces of Goldings uh, for the initial uh, boil, and then mm-hmm. followed up uh, 40 minutes in with the uh, Will Amet. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, add one ounce of Fuggle at the very end. Nice, okay. Yeah, I like the character the English yeast is given this one. What did the other one taste yeah. like? Just a little more neutral kind of... Uh, I think it was actually a little bit drier. We got yeah. a little bit more esters and a little bit more of that fruitiness that you're com- coming across where the other one... Uh, I think it attenuated down just one more point, so it was at, a, it was at an 11 versus 12. That might so. be more like the foreign extra than <laughs> a little drier. <laughs> yeah, so I use an electric brewery. So oh, okay. All yeah, right. so we mashed in. We, we came in at uh, one, 149. Mm-hmm. So we held that for about 60 minutes. You always hit your mash temps? Uh, within two degrees. And I, I'm i not going to freak out about two degrees. No, thing. no. You it's not going to matter. I, yeah. You know, coming in at 149, I, I called the split between 150 and 148. I got my beta amylase out of it. And yeah, well, I was happy with that. So it had a great attenuation because of that. Um, yeah. Then we did a 60-minute boil on it. And uh, within the brewing system, we actually hooked up a freezer that we filled with water and we chill the water so it's ice cold and it's got a copper coil so then we just pump over. Oh, okay. And then we just chill it right there and you can whirlpool and chill at the same time. So Awesome. Nice. But we didn't do that with this, so yeah. it makes chilling it pretty easy. Sounds yeah, like it. Didn't need to whirlpool it, really. No, definitely <laughs> not. This thing, was, this thing was just ready to be chilled. and then, yeah. It was tar, like you said. It right. was, it was uh, definitely glad we didn't have a boil over on this one. Cool. Absolutely, man. Yeah, that'd be terrible. Peel it off the peel off the ground. Uh, well, if if that's it, I mean, I think I think we're ready for a break. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. That was easy. That was a little too easy. I feel I feel like we're missing something, but um, if I'm good, you're good. Wait, other way around. Anyway, <laughs> Dr. Home, everyone, stay tuned. We'll be back to chat about how to package your beers for a competition. Stay tuned. Do you know the three most important rules in brewing? Sanitation, sanitation, and sanitation. And no one does it better than Five Star Chemicals. Five Star knows sanitation. You can only sanitize clean equipment. And Five Star knows how to clean, too. For craft brewers and home brewers, Five Star has what you need to keep your fermenters, serving tanks, kegs and draft lines sparkling and free of any beer-spoiling bacteria. PBW, caustic, acid cleaners, star sand, Santa Clean, lubricants and defoamers, pH stabilizers, and more. Five Star Chemicals has cleaning supplies, safety supplies, heat exchangers, pumps, hoses, and valves. And Five Star is proud to offer eco-friendly products that exceed customer expectations. If you have a cleaning problem, you need the Five Star Solution. Visit FiveStarChemicals.com or call 800-782-7019. 800-782-7019. And get the Five star treatment today admitted homebrewing is not always free of frustrations years ago brothers bill and jim mitchell decided to minimize those frustrations and create an entirely new brewing process and a brand new kitchen appliance the pico brew zymatic the zymatic sits on your kitchen counter and connects to the internet via wi-fi it comes with access to a huge recipe library full of award-winning beers and can brew your next batch at the push of a button improve repeatability and refine your recipes with the Pico Brew Zymatic. With minimal cleaning and hassle, the Zymatic enables anyone to brew craft beer in the comfort of their own kitchen. Just add your ingredients and the process of homebrewing becomes simplified and automatic, allowing you to focus on what really matters while you brew. At Pico Brew, they believe everyone should be able to enjoy the art of homebrewing and make their own damn good craft beer. See the Zymatic in action today at PicoBrew.com. I'm sorry to tell you this, but we're going to have to pour you out. Back to Dr. Homebrew. All right. Thanks for hanging out, everyone. We're about to chat about how to package your beer, man, because, uh, you know, look, we've gotten a lot of packages before. I've gotten tons of packages here from the show, and uh, it, they, they range from, like, how did this get here safely, because there's almost no packaging to, I need a Swiss Army, and I need MacGyver to come in to help me figure out how to open the bottle, because it, there's so much packaging. Uh, there's definitely overkill. overkill. And there's a sweet spot, and uh, it all came from a piece of customer, or, uh, listener feedback, not customer feedback. Um, about, you know, hey, how do you actually, you know, package beer for competition or to send to you guys? Like, you See. know, a lot of people don't really know how to do it. So you kind of just get all the scrap newspaper you can and, and cross your fingers, man. Uh, right. So we're going to chat about that. But first, I want to tell you guys about our latest sponsor, Craft Brew. And they have this really cool Kickstarter going on for a fermenter that Brian has just accepted delivery today. Yeah. Uh, called the Catalyst, and what it is is a uh, essentially a tabletop plastic conical fermenter with a giant three-inch triclover butterfly valve at the bottom, and you attach a jar to the bottom, open the valve, dump your beer in there, dump your yeast in there, and all the yeast eventually, as it settles out, collects in the jar. And you close the you close the valve, and you have a jar full of yeast that you can now wash and repitch into your next batch. It's pretty cool, and it's tabletop. Um, you know, you don't have to mount it to the wall. You don't have to do anything like that. So, if you guys want to get in on the Catalyst fermentation system, check them out. They're on Kickstarter. Just search for the Catalyst. Um, by Craft a Brewer, I guess you can search for Craft a Brewer. I don't really know how Kickstarter works, like how to search for stuff, but um, you can get in pretty good right now, man, with a, a couple, uh, you know, low low pledges. You get a pretty decent, uh, uh, pretty decent looking setup, man. It looks great. Apparently, the plastic is like ninety per eighty percent more scratch resistant than like the plastic buckets. So if you think about like kind of a hard plastic, the lid, the entire lid removes. 
uh, it was sent to my house, but I was like, look, honestly, Brian's going to be brewing more than, more than, than I am able to. Uh, so I was playing around with it for a little bit, and it snaps on on all four sides just like, uh, like Tupperware. But there's a gasket in there, um, and so it's easy to clean. It sits on your counter, and uh, that, that giant triclover, uh, three-inch triclover dump valve, it just makes the whole thing a dream to use. I'm looking forward to using it. I can't. Cool. I can't wait. I, I almost didn't give it to you, Brian. <laughs> but uh, you you definitely brew more than I yeah. do. Thank you. That's. I'm looking forward to using that. Yeah, and it looks cool too, man. Yeah, I probably have to look at the Kickstarter campaign to kind of envision what what this does. Here, look check like, it out. But, yeah, Let's see right here. Oh, you got everything right there. Okay. Yeah. See here. Here's here's a photo. Bam. Very cool. It's right there. Yeah, I like it. I think it's pretty cool, man. So the folks from Craft Brew. They're big BN folks. And you can bottle right from it, too, by the way. Nice. They have a bottling attachment that just goes right on the drain. Um, how awesome is that, dude? Three-inch butterfly valve. Three-inch. That's a huge thing, man. Anyway, check them out. Go to kickstarter.com and look up the Catalyst and be a part of that. Jump on that thing, man. Jump on their uh, campaign. It's definitely worthwhile. Yeah. Check it out. Check it out. All right. Packaging. Now, I can't tell you how many friggin' plastic bags and Ziploc bags and uh, stuff I've had to throw away because, uh, you know, people just over, they overpackage. And, and it's cool. You want, you want your beer to, to arrive safely, and I appreciate that. I really do, because I have had a couple beers break on me from time to time when you, fail, when you people uh, send them to me. But for the most part, I think people are kind of overdoing it as well. So what, what's, a, what's a good ratio? How do, we, how do we know how much packaging is enough? I, you know... The, the tip of using the plastic bag on the outside is always there. I actually rarely do it myself. Just, I mean, yes, it'll, if, it'll contain the spill if you, if you uh, have a bottle break in shipment. But just ensuring that you use enough uh, bubble wrap. I think that the best is to get about uh, three layers of the, the thin, the smaller bubble bubble wrap around your, each bottle. And, um, you know, placing the, well... There's a lot of different ways you can place your bottles, but um, you know another trick in uh, and I've never used it, but I, I was reading some stuff too. An alternative to um, having a plastic bag to just contain the spill and have it sloshing around in there is to <laughs> actually like put a baby diaper in your shipment underneath the the bottles, and that really? will absorb. Like if one bottle breaks, that's gonna. I mean, look, think about how much pee that thing holds you know <laughs> kids peeing all night use it nighttime huggies you know that thing's gonna hold a lot of liquid trust me i know um <laughs> i wear i'm wearing one right I'm now, wearing one right now. Yeah, <laughs> no. my kid is but yeah that that's an interesting tip i don't know but um honestly uh, i should just let 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 keith talk right now because he's, he's entered a lot of competitions and he's won a lot of competitions i'm sure he knows how to get his beer in there yeah clearly we've uh, we've established that his his beer arrives yeah, but, intact. I, but I think part of what I do is not really try to send it very far very often. I mean, I, I have to do that. Like for the California state competition, you have to send it down to L.A. Um, and, and uh, you know, the main thing is you don't want it to break. So the first thing I think about is not about like what happens if something breaks. The first thing I think about is how do I ensure my beer bottles don't break? break. <laughs> you know, yeah. So I'm going to cover up my bottle, you know bubble wrap the bottles as much as possible so they're not going to break no matter what happens in the box and then you know sort of create a a sort of you know bed around them of bubble wrap as well you know that's kind of the idea is just to sort of create uh, you know a, a, a bed around it and then from there like you also you know i think it's really important when you ship something to do it as fast as possible depending on the time of year um, if it's too cold in the winter, you know, something could freeze. If it's too hot, like, you know, the last time I sent beers down to L.A., we had a heat spell up here in San Francisco, and it was like 80 degrees. And that night I sent beers down, and a couple of the more fragile beers, I felt like they were hurt by that, you know. Hmm. So, you know, first thing is if you want to get beers, you know, you want to win win competitions. If you want to get feedback, look local and, and deliver your beers there. Do so that. Try not to ship it. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Like try right. not to ever take this advice and package your beer and ship it out. Yeah. If you have six people entering and, and you know, thank you to my friend Chris who brought my beers to the nationals, you know, last time. Not that I won anything, but um yeah, just like there's six people. There might be one guy's like, Well, I live, you know, not too far from Sacramento. I could bring them up there and 
and uh, you know throw them a, a beer or a little money for gas or whatever, and and yeah. get arranged to get your six guys beers to them at the homebrew club meeting, and then you don't have to ship it at all. Yeah, so that's the way to go. <laughs> Rules yeah. to shipping beer: one, avoid shipping if at all possible. <laughs> but for entering nationals, let's say like this next year, it's in the in the Midwest. Yeah, you're gonna have to. Ship and for that. us East Coasters, you're gonna have you have you have to ship that right. So. What's the best way to do that? How do we do that? I, I, when I did mine, uh, when I used to enter competitions, I would do the bubble wrap, the thin, the, the small bubble bubble yeah. wrap, and two or three wraps. Um, uh, you know, a, a key is you want it, you want it to be secure, but you don't want to overdo it with a tape. And I've had to sit there with a knife and yeah. just cut off the bubble wrap because the tape just uh, there's so much of yeah. it on. You just need a little strip. It's not going to come off in shipment. Well, it's not going to slide off the bottle, yeah. so just put a little tape on because you're not only trying to get your your beer there, but you're trying to uh, make it as easy for the folks who are running the competition, checking your beers in, to access your beer uh, as possible. Yeah, in general, I, you know, for sending and trading beers, you you have family members, I have family members in the Midwest. I want to share a beer with my brother. Sure, yeah, we're not even um, just talking comps. That's a good. Point. I don't want him to have to go through that pain in the ass of of with the box cutter and and doing all this oh, man. so you know yeah. yeah have a couple of layers of bubble wrap all around the thing and inside where you wrap your bubble bottles with the bubble wrap a thing i do is just as a courtesy to whoever's going to be opening it you know yeah i'll tape up the the top of the bottle and make sure there's a good solid cone of of bubbles around that and th you know that can be pulled off but when you get to like wrapping the stuff around i'll fold the tape over so there's a strip of tape hanging off and it's pulled tight and it's going to hold. It's going to be wrapped in there, and you have two right. inches of whatever. And you just fold it over an inch at the end where they can just grab that. And, well, I hope my brother's doing that. Just <laughs> You should ask him. You should have a package there tomorrow, actually. I'd, uh, and just pull that and, and open it up, and it's going to... Uh, it just comes right off. Unleash the ale, yeah. as they yeah. say. And I have to be honest with you, I really don't even use bubble wrap for the bottles. I do actually use newspaper for the bottles, and I keep them tight enough in a box, and then put the bubble wrap around the box and around them, and keep everything sort of in a tight sort of, like, so things don't move around in the box, keep the box tight enough. And, of course, if something would, you know, crush the box and step on it, then that may break. But I've yeah. always just used newspaper, and that's, you know, I've always had, like, lots of brewing news. I used to write for this brewing news article, and I had tons of paper left over and I'd use those to wrap the bottles like three or three or four pages around each bottle and and that's really easy to take off when you get to a competition yeah. and it, it you know leaves a lot of mess and it's recyclable yeah. um, but it, it was it always worked for me I never nothing ever broke maybe I was lucky but keep the boxes <laughs> kind of tight where you don't have a lot of extra space floating around where things are going to jiggle around and that's kind of another issue there you don't you want to have things kind of kind of in place when you're sending, you know, sending the bottles. Yeah, so. and because ultimately that's probably how it's going to break, is because the, either the bottles hit each other inside, or you don't have enough cushioning, and when that package gets dropped or thrown on a busy season, it you know it's going to slip and split the, um, the the padding on the bottom and hit the ground or hit something else. So you want to you want to make sure that you have, you know, an inch or two around it, but make sure those bottles aren't moving. And then you'll be fine. Yeah, they, but they probably don't need individual bubble wrap. Um, well, the thing with if you paper you want to be careful about is, yeah, it, the, you know, paper. Well, okay, bubble wrap, it can pop, you know, and a couple bubbles might pop. But, but paper, if you don't use enough of it and it's not super solidly packed, and it sounds like Keith is avoiding that problem, if it's not super super solidly packed, you just put a bunch of bottles, you know, wrapped in paper in the middle, and then you know, like, you know, lightly crunch a little paper around the edges and stuff it in there. Well, as that stuff shifts around in shipment, you know, when you get a package from Amazon, a lot of times you get that, and the paper's all pushed to the sides, and there's like one piece of it in there, and yeah. whatever was in there is crunched, or you know, uh, the box of it is crunched at least, and you're like, oh, okay, then. Uh, not to bag on Amazon, but, you know, <laughs> anyone that ships anything, you know, you could get yeah. something that's just packaged with paper around it and it's not enough. Like, you need to use substantial enough paper or um, or bubble wrap. But don't use foam penis. Those things suck. Yeah, I was going to say, I ple yeah, foam please penis. don't use the, the foam penis. Never use a foam Never. penis. It just it absorbs moisture and this is a weird place to have it.
Yes. Uh, yeah, the peanuts are terrible. Uh, but for like the newspaper, what do you do? Do you just you just ball it up like normal? You want it you want it condensed more. Um, than, than usual, like a tight like wad, and just throw a bunch of them in there. I mean, I, I am actually, you know, as as Brian's talking about, I'm, I'm lining the whole the whole box with bubble wrap or like the Amazon wrap with the bubbles they have it there. So the whole box has a cushion around it, and then I'm just wrapping the bottles so they don't smack against each other. And I'm using like three or three or four pieces of newspaper and just wrapping each bottle so they're not gonna hit like they're you know they're they're kind of. Um, and I'm you know, making hand signals here on radio, which works well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm making, you know, wrapping them up so they don't smack against each other. Sort of keeping everything really tight is is the point. I'm not I'm not balling up newspaper in there at all. Like if I need an extra, if it's not going to be tight, I'll throw an extra uh, bubble wrap or extra cushioning yeah. there to keep it all really, really tight, really, really tight. Just want to avoid that glass on glass contact possibility. Yeah. If it's if it's got a few layers of paper or a bubble wrap around it, you should a couple layers of bubble wrap. Should be good. Okay. You can also do the box within the box. The box in a box method. Yeah. I mean, that's sure. a little extra packaging, but uh, you get kind of a floater in the middle of your bubble wrap sandwich, and that's going to isolate that from jostling motions, and it's going to give it a good cushion for where you can, yeah, definitely prevent a lot of that breakage from happening let's talk the extremes as well like i mean you know there are certain brewers out there who have in the past have gone to the point where they put ice packs and and things like mm -hmm. that and, and basically build a cooler inside of a box to keep the beers cool enough and send them overnight and i think gordon strong did this for a couple of his uh uh national winning ninkazis that he you know he had okay let me get the box uh, i'm gonna make a cooler out of it throw some cooler packs it's, it's similar to sending as you know probably sending yeast in the mail mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. throw a couple of ice packs in there and then keep them cold all the all the way there um yeah, if you can do that that's maybe the next best thing to to hand yeah. carrying it you know absolutely you keep it controlled and keep it keep it cool but that's another extreme yeah i got some nice boxes for our competition where i had like layers of that thick poly uh styrene or you know that yeah just the <laughs> the insulating, you know. Dude, we had one. I should have brought. I actually thought about bringing the package in, but a guy sent in beer for this show, and he. I, I talked to him afterwards. He goes, "Yeah, I work in like foam or something." Yeah. And he, <laughs> he, he basically had this block of foam that he cut out each individual bottle. It was like a like a guitar case, yeah. and it just slipped right in. I was like, "You are you have problems." Yeah, there's these. these <laughs> you have a problem. Injectable man. foam pieces these yeah. days, where you can just yeah, they just blow it's it crazy around the material, and it just conforms totally. If you have access to that kind of stuff, you know, by all means, work with <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, use that. But, man. I've also from uh, Belgium. I've received bottles where they use sort of like pipe coverings, where it's like foam pipe coverings, where you know you're, you're covering up a you know maybe it's outside pipe, keep it kind of warm or you know mm -hmm. whatever, like foam like that. And they put bottles in there. You can stack two bottles in one and sort of tape it up, and they don't move at all either that way. And I use those. I use those a lot when I'm flying, when I'm, I'm putting bottles in bags and taking them across the country. Um, I'll use those and just sort of wrap. And it's kind of hard to explain, but you know what I mean. Like uh, yeah, like a, a, a yeah, pipe insulating foam. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's thin. It's not not super thick. Black it's, usually. Uh, these these are a little bit bigger. They're oh, about, okay. yeah, they're about the size of a, a baseball on, on okay. diameter. But yeah, they're like pretty. They're pretty thick. They're probably about an inch and a half. Um, but they yeah, I, I use those for bringing bottles across the country a lot. And that's yeah. a good idea. And then another kind is those cardboard things that kind of conform to the. Uh, if you get a wine shipment and you have like the the cardboard. Um, or what it's maybe not cardboard, but whatever it is, kind of a paperboard that's conforming to the wine bottles, and then you package your bottles inside bubble wrap and put them inside the space where the wine bottle went, and that holds them. Whatever's going to hold them and keep them from moving too much in the in the shipment and keep them from uh, bumping into one another, glass on glass, especially. But if you can separate them, isolate them like that. That's even better. That yes, and that again, that's the key is you don't want the things to move in shipment. Yeah, that's it. So do whatever you can. But, you know, that being said, don't use peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> Stop yeah. with the peanuts. And for 12 ounces, you can also use like um, a, a, a 12 wine bottle case. And then just, you know, if you, if you don't care too much about the shipping costs, you can just separate them. So you have like one bottle here, one bottle there, put some paper bubble wrap in between or whatever and just isolate them. Yeah. Put a thick layer of bubble wrap on the bottom and, and cut the little cardboard separator so they're shorter. You know, put the bottles in, put another couple layers of bubble wrap on the top of that and that. That holds them in there and kind of put use the middle spaces, put them in in spaces where they're not going to be touching each other, and you know get however many bottles you need to send in there and and work on it. But yeah, yeah, 
What I, about the legalities? Let's talk about that real yeah. fast. Oh yeah. Where, yeah. Where, where can you send them? Which which companies allow you to send them? Which which don't? <clears throat> so it's definitely illegal to send by U.S. mail. You need to definitely avoid that, and it's in law. So, um, UPS, FedEx, they have guidelines that uh, for if you're not um, licensed to sell alcohol, you are technically per their guidelines. You're not allowed to send alcohol, but you're not breaking any laws. You're just breaking their guidelines from what I understand. Right. So, you know, some, you know, well, I guess it's, it's better. Don't ask, don't tell. Kind yeah, of I was, was kind of going to yeah. say that, but yeah, yeah. You know, if you ship them, it, it, it's, it's, you can use the yeast samples terminology or, you know, which is technically true. A whole bunch of olive oil. There's a lot of different uh, <laughs> things, but yeah. yeah. Gifts, you know, uh, the Godfather route. It, we import olive oil. Yeah. But uh, I found, I found UPS is, Ask yeah. less questions than FedEx. FedEx tends to add, ask more questions. If you say alcohol to FedEx, they'll pretty much shut you down, depending yeah. on where you live. I mean, there's certain yeah. places they're not going to say no, but um, but here at least I've, I've found that if I let somebody else try to set, ship my bottles, I'm out of town, like, you know, they'll say, oh, no, FedEx, nope, not going to happen. Like, they'll, if you say alcohol, they'll say, nope, not going not gonna to do it. But UPS doesn't <laughs> usually ask as many questions, but that may vary from state to state or region to region, whatever. But I, I tend to go with UPS. Um, I like UPS a little better mm-hmm. too, but yeah, yeah, it's gonna vary, and, and they'll they'll get you too. My brother brought in some uh, stuff to ship me one time into a little, you know, whatever it was, mailboxes store, or whatever, FedEx or whatever store, and and they they shook it and detected that there was liquid in there, and they started questioning him a little more, and, and they found out that it was alcohol, and they wouldn't they like black blacklisted him kind of. And the next time he went in there, they they like had him on their list somehow. Oh, or knew that he was shipping it. And, and and some people even go to great lengths and put put like a, a little a cup sealed up with some nuts or bolts or something in it. So actually it's like kind of a decoy. Wow. Where you'll like shake it and you hear something kind of rattling in there. Wow. Okay. But seriously. I seriously. don't doubt it. I don't and, doubt and it. And you don't hear the liquid sloshing. Um, someone said too, storing it upright is you don't hear as much of the sloshing. I think because the, the the liquid line sense. is up in the neck instead yeah. of the body of the bottle. Well, but, I mean, it's also how much how much liquids in the bottle. Like you know, if you're leaving a lot of headspace, you're probably gonna have more sloshing. If you fill your bottles a little bit closer to the neck, you're probably gonna hear a little less sloshing, right? I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder we if I bring a bottle right now and shake it. Like right. there's a bottle over there. Let's just do that. On. I wonder if if you if you uh, you know put like fragile. On the, was, like a fragile sticker on, and then the the monkey at the at the counter, you know, shakes it. I'd be like, "What are you doing, dude? It's fragile. Stop that." Yeah. Well, no, I, I think, think that, I hear liquid in there. No, it's fragile. I was gonna mention fragile stickers too. I think in general, just putting putting, uh, well, fragile stickers are all over everything. But if you put a sticker on your box that says glass, that's probably yeah. gonna actually help them. I've heard. Treat it a little bit better, and it's like, oh, totally will. This one has glass in it. I better not throw it against the wall. You know, the monkeys yeah. back there. I'd also recommend not doing, not making it too heavy. Right. Um, I, I've gotten For a lot of beers. Yeah, I've got a lot of beers like in USPS uh, flat rate boxes, like large flat rate boxes, which fit just fine. But it's like this. Actually, the one in USPS that broke, that was leaking all over my my porch, because uh, USPS decided just to leave it there instead of rejecting it. Um, that was in a large box, and, and it, there was a kind of a lot of bottles in there. So be, be very aware of you want like at least an inch or even two around the perimeter inside the box, and then you want to put your bottles in there because you want yeah. a cushion. They will knock against they, the, the boxes will knock against each other. They'll knock against the wall. And if you're doing it uh, during the holidays when you know the, the people who load the trucks are literally called throwers, they are <laughs> throwing boxes. Yeah. And you want to make sure that net, that any, if anything impacts that side, it doesn't it doesn't break a bottle. It doesn't send one bottle into the another inside that box. I've heard the holidays are a pretty bad time to send it to. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's also think about like uh, I think JP, you're talking about like how much weight to put into a box. I think there are limits yeah. as well, like how much it costs for each box. So It'll dim yes. weight there's a, there's a, there's a, a, you know you want to weigh your boxes and be like okay if I go over thirty pounds or whatever it is like. I want to break it up into two boxes because it's cheaper to do it that way versus bringing one heavy box. Yeah, true. So yeah. You, want to, you want to find that limit. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but I know I always break up. Like when I have like 20 entries to send down to LA, it's like oh, th- 60 bottles. I have to break them up into different boxes. Yeah. Three boxes versus one box would be way too expensive. I think so. if it's like gets to a heavy category where it's 
like over 50 pounds of beer or something, then, yeah, then you're, then you're going to pay a lot, little premium for that. I think it's probably around 50 pounds. I'm still trying to figure out how to ship kegs. I got to work on that one. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. Well, so I guess the, the, the takeaways here are just be smart, use enough paper. Uh, and if you do have to use USPS or, or FedEx no, or no, UPS. No, don't use USPS. If, well, if you want to send yeast samples. No. You can't. Sure. No. But didn't we just say that? You could? USPS is illegal. For for yeast samples, I thought you could do it. No. Uh, you shouldn't send anything alcoholic with the USPS. I wouldn't risk it. Okay. I do all the time. Okay. Well, they, you know. <laughs> no, no, but you're right. You're right to say that because they, they state is, that you can't do there it. There is a law on the books. About, right. And it's the government, you know. Yeah. So, Never get the government uh, on your ass. Chances are they're just going to send you a nasty gram if they discover that you've got alcohol in your, yep. in your, in your package. But, I mean, you could, there are fines or fees or, or who knows what. For, That's true. You definitely don't want to do that. But uh, if you have to. Jail time. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe jail time. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, in the slammer yeah. next month. Jason. Right. Uh, call me samples. Don't yeah. call it beer. Don't be so honest. Stop being so honest. Yeah. What do you think? Is that it? Yeast it's kind of the, the down and dirty guide to, to shipping beer for competition. Yeah, if anyone has questions, you can write in to JP and, and uh, JP at thebrewingnetwork.com and, and tell us that we're completely wrong or, or ask for clarification on anything. But and we don't have all the answers either. Maybe there's some some people we could we can bring in other suggestions to that people that have had success. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Travis, thanks for joining us, man. And he yeah, wins the. Uh, so by default, yeah, you win the do- the uh, the Dr. Homer. Jesus, at Christ. least your grog the, tag. the grog tag forty dollars. At least your beer will look good. Gift certificate. Awesome. So I have to cool get your email for that. that. Yeah, check them out, man. Tins, uh, uh, you know, metal signs, coasters, reusable labels, bottle caps, all sorts of stuff. Tap handles, all sorts it. of stuff. So check it out, grogtag.com. We love those guys. I, I use it all the time. We're good. Nice. Well, perfect. There you go. You got free 40 bucks then, dude. Yeah. Did we I, talk about the, the beer bug yet? Uh, did I, No, I didn't. Look at you, Brian. Man, my... Okay. Yeah. Check out my Russian... Beer Im- bug. Good work, Brian. Stout. Uh, good work. Um, yeah. The Brewing Network. Okay. Yeah. The beer bug is a really cool thing, man. Um, you put it in your beer and you can see... Oh, crap. I got a stuck fermentation. Or... Oh, my meat is almost done where I need to stop the fermentation. Or, oh, my beer's been done for two weeks and I've just been waiting for it, you know. Yeah, it's 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 really cool. It sits in your beer. You can wirelessly monitor your beer from work uh, wherever you want, uh, from in the kitchen, for God's sakes. You don't have to sit in the garage and watch the, the, the airlock plop off and on and off and on and off and on. Anyway, check it out. Thebeerbug.com. I love it. Brian loves it. It's great. You guys are going to love it, too. It's Dr. Homebrew. Thanks a lot for joining us, everyone. Hey, Ta- thanks, guys. Take it easy.